Our scriptures are in Daniel chapter 1 today. For those of you visiting today, we're going through this book of Daniel. I want to just read a couple of verses outside the book of Daniel before we read the text proper. The first one I'd like you to go to is 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. And I want to draw your attention to verse 18 of 2 Kings chapter 20. Now Hezekiah is making this prediction about 115 years before we come to the text we're going to look at today. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 18, here's what Hezekiah predicts. Some of your sons who shall issue from you, whom you shall beget, shall be taken away, and they shall become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. So this prediction was made about 115 years prior to the events that we're studying in Daniel. I want you then to go to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29. In Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah sends a letter to those that are in exile, and he basically tells them, you're going to be there for a while, so you may as well get a home and live life as good as you can while you're there. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 4, here's what we read, Jeremiah 29, 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease." Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. So Jeremiah sends that to those who are in exile. Now we'll go to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read about some who went into exile. Daniel chapter 1, our scripture reading today will begin at verse 3, and here's what we read in Daniel 1 verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his scriptures and to the exposition to follow. Before we begin our journey, let's bow and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the word and for those who are here to partake of it. We pray your blessing on this hour. We pray, God, that your word would minister to minds and hearts, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. A professor at the University of Chicago, Dr. Alan Bloom, said, Most university students go to college with an open-mindedness and a belief that truth is relative. He said they get into classrooms where professors teach them there are no absolutes. As a result, when one comes out of a university, one has not been taught to think right, but one is taught 
to think they're never right. There is no question that if you can indoctrinate young people with some counterculture belief system that's contrary to truth, you can capture the culture. For example, if you take young children and put them in schools where they're programmed with the concept there is no God who created the heavens and the earth, pretty soon you have a society that is actually believing there is no God. Nebuchadnezzar in the days of Daniel knew of those kinds of tactics. He knew that if he captured young people and reprogrammed them and brainwashed them, he thought he could reprogram the world to not believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What he didn't know is that he was going to run into Daniel and his three friends who were not about to be swayed. I want you to remember that the historical background that surround the events of Daniel are critical. God is punishing Israel for her rebellion and her refusal to properly respond to him. As we read in scripture this morning, about 115 years before these very verses that we read and study today, Hezekiah made a remarkable prediction in 2 Kings that the king of Babylon would take away some of your sons and they would become officials in his palace. When we come to this portion of Daniel, we're faced with the reality that God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Nebuchadnezzar is fulfilling precise prophecy and personally trying to reprogram everything connected to Israel. God is still sovereign. As Dr. Warren Wearsby said, his goal was to transform and brainwash the Jews into becoming Babylonians. When God permits this kind of thing to happen, when he permits a culture to dominate his people, the goal of the people or the heathen culture is to conform God's people to the heathen culture. The goal of a heathen culture is not to make God's people more godly. The goal of a heathen society is to make God's people more godless. But there's a powerful lesson we learn from these opening verses in Daniel. And it is this, when God permits heathens to be in control of his people, they will attempt to sway God's people into people becoming heathenistic, but God will honor those who refuse to be swayed. A heathen culture will try to get God's people to become heathenistic, but God will always honor those who refuse to budge. On your job, in your school, even with your family and friends, those who do not know the Lord will try to influence you to become like them. But it's in that very context of life where people of God can take a stand and they can stand for God and they can be greatly used by the Lord. If ever there is a principle or a passage that teaches us that, it is this. Now in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, Nebuchadnezzar does everything he can as king to try to get the children of Israel to conform to the Babylonian culture. Now the Babylons were not so bad if you compare it to the Egyptian captivity that the Israelis had been under. In other words, the Babylonian captivity was not as bad as the Egyptian captivity. In fact, Jeremiah, as we read this morning, said that the people of Israel should build houses and plan to live there for a while, and they should live there as comfortably as possible. But Nebuchadnezzar had a plan not just to provide Israel with a nice place to live for a few years. The plan of Nebuchadnezzar was to reprogram the entire nation Israel away from God. Now, when you discover that you're under the authority of somebody godless, when you're working for someone who's ruthless, who tries to demean the Lord, don't cave into the pressure and end up thinking like that person or doing the wrong. You try in your environment to be as comfortable as you possibly can. Try to be a person in your circumstances who can get along with people, but don't allow corruption to corrupt you. 
Don't allow yourself to be squeezed into the mold. That's exactly how Daniel and his three friends live their lives. Now, this segment breaks down nicely, or this passage, into three main segments. Number one, what the king ordered, verses 3 and 4. Here's what we read. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, his leading official, to take some of the sons of Israelites and bring them to Babylon. I want you to notice that verb bring means this was not optional. In other words, those selected had no choice. It wasn't like they had an option. It wasn't like Daniel and his three friends had a choice. You can either stay here in the Jerusalem area or you can move to Babylon. He took them. Now, the word official is literally in Hebrew the word for eunuch. And that's why there has been a great debate whether or not Daniel and his three friends were eunuchs who had been castrated by Nebuchadnezzar. Josephus is one who, as a historian, claims that he thought they had been, but this physical mutilation is unlikely for at least two reasons. First of all, the choice of the young men were to be those without any physical defect. And secondly, Jewish law certainly frowned on castration. Deuteronomy 23.1 says that a person who had been castrated was removed from the assembly of the Lord, and therefore it does not seem likely that Daniel and his friends who would protest against food would not protest against something like castration. So I don't believe they'd been castrated at all. Now, there are six characteristics that were to exist in those who were chosen to go to Babylon. First of all, they were to be Jewish men, sons of Israel. Now, before we talk about that, I just want to bring out an important fact about these young men. They had done nothing to deserve this. In other words, they did not deserve to be taken captive out of their homes. They were good men, as we'll see, they were godly men. They certainly had not earned through their evil works the reason to be taken or taken captive by a foreign country and culture. The truth is the fault laid in the parents and not with the young people. However, even in this, God still had a plan at work. He still had a program operating. His purposes were silent and they were secret. He was going to bring some of these young people into Babylon because he was going to actually change the world through them. You may be here today and you may not deserve to be in your lousy circumstances. You may have been dealt a lousy hand recently. You may be one and you come from a broken home and you say, I'm a child, I don't deserve that. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for my parents to break up. You may have a bizarre background and it isn't your fault. You stay faithful to God. You purpose to live for him and love him and watch what God will do in your world. Watch what he does with Daniel and these three. Now, the young men he selected were the brightest and the best. When this book begins, these Jewish young men are taken captive. And the reason why they're taken captive is because Nebuchadnezzar wants to bring them under Babylonian influence. But by the time the book ends, these Jewish men who've been taken captive, they end up bringing Babylonia under the influence of the God of the Bible. So what that tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is no matter what the culture you live in or work in, you can influence it for God if you stay faithful to him. Now, the term sons of Israel or royal family or nobles indicate that these young Jewish men who were selected were from royal kingly lines 
and some of them came from families that held honorable positions in the Jewish commonwealth. Josephus, the historian, says Daniel and his three friends were from Zedekiah's royal line. Now one might ask, why would Nebuchadnezzar want these kinds of Jewish people living in Babylon? Why did he want to take the people related to the king and nobles and those who were honorable position and bring them and put them under Babylonian power? Let me give you at least four reasons why this was a smart move for Nebuchadnezzar. Number one, he wanted to help keep royal and high-ranking family members under check. He's holding their sons. He could tell those kingly families, I have your son in captivity, so you better do what I want. Secondly, he wanted to continually remind the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, that he had captured the best that Israel had. This would be like a slap in the face to Israel and to Judah when he would hold up these people and say, look, I captured them, I caught them, they're under my power, not yours. Thirdly, to have these Jewish men help in administering things that related to Israel. If he could train them up in the Babylonian culture, they could be kind of a go-between between Jewish people and Babylonians' power. And fourthly, to brainwash the best from Israel into becoming Babylonians. He captured these Jewish men because he wants to brainwash them so they will influence others. So he took Jewish men. The second characteristic is they were to be young men. That's brought out in the text. They were to be youths. Mind control begins with the young. Nebuchadnezzar knew that. He had the same philosophy Adolf Hitler had. If you can take young children and you can begin to reprogram their minds, you can reprogram a culture, a society. What Nebuchadnezzar obviously did not realize is that some of these young men were already well trained in the things of God. Obviously, in some Timothy-type fashion, some of these young men had been trained in their early days from youth up, and many of them were already solid in the things of God. It's been calculated that Daniel must have been about 15 or 16 years old when he was captured. He's still serving at a high level some 67 years later, which would have made him 82 or 83 years old. At the time Daniel lived in Jerusalem, there were no Sunday school programs or youth programs, and I'm thankful we have that to offer. But Daniel didn't have it. What Daniel would have had to have done back in his day as a little boy is go to the temple and sit there and listen and learn from the things of God. Now, you children and you teenagers, I want to talk to you for a moment. You need to be in church under the Word of God. You don't need a lot of fluffy stuff to make you powerful. What you need is the Word of God. You need a place where you're carefully taught the Word of God. And from a child on up, you can grow to become strong just like Daniel. You become strong as a young man and as a young woman when you get into the environment, the assembly of God, where the Word of God is taught, and you take that in, you listen and learn, you grow to become strong. That's what happened to these. The third characteristic is they were to be physically healthy. He says that in verse 4, in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking. I cannot help but think again of Adolf Hitler, whose goal it was to produce a master race of people, free from any physical defect. I have heard and read in history where Hitler actually studied the bone structure of a face, and he would look at the physique of a person to determine whether or not they should propagate a child because he would produce his master race. That's the way Nebuchadnezzar operated. In many Eastern countries and cultures and religions, a perfect body was supposed to indicate you have the real favor of the gods. Heathen cultures have always placed a major emphasis on external beauty, and that certainly was true when it came to Nebuchadnezzar. 
These young people who were to be captured and brought to him were not to have any physical defects. In other words, they were not to have any physical handicap, either in form or face or in body. He wanted them to be good-looking young men, and the Hebrew word defect is one that refers to physical defects. Now, obviously, Daniel and his three friends did meet this requirement. So you can't blame Daniel and his three friends for meeting this requirement. That's all God's sovereign business, just like it is when someone doesn't meet that requirement. That's God's sovereign business, too. But what this does tell us, ladies and gentlemen, is that you can be a not-dead, gorgeous, physical specimen as a young man or young lady, and you can still be sold out to God and His righteousness. Daniel and his three friends were good-looking young men, and they were sold out to God. It's possible to be very good-looking and glorify God as a young man or young woman. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was so beautiful that he was still afraid other guys would want her when she was 90 years old. Esther was the most beautiful woman in the world. These were women who loved God, and these were women who glorified God. So no matter what you look like, you can have a life that truly brings glory to God, even if you're one of the good-looking people. Now, in a depraved society, indeed, that judges a person by whether or not there's any defects, and in depraved societies, that's the way they operate. What depraved societies don't realize is God is the one who allows people to be born. He authorizes life. Sometimes God makes a determination that he'll allow somebody to be born blind. Sometimes he makes a determination that he'll allow someone to be born deaf. Sometimes he'll make a determination that he will allow someone to be born with some type of defect. And societies that are right with God, they see the value of every person, regardless of any physical defect. Now, the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, we're all defective when it comes to God. When God looks at any one of us, he sees all of us in a defective state because we've all sinned. If God were looking for perfect specimens in his family, there would be no one. And thank God, God doesn't use the same standards Nebuchadnezzar did because there have been those whom God has mightily used who've had terrible physical handicaps. I think of Fanny Crosby the great hymn writer who was born as a young girl blind, as she became blind, and she went on and still considered today as one of the greatest hymn writers to ever live. I think of the Apostle Paul who had some physical handicap. Many believe it was an eyesight problem, but he became an apostle to the whole Gentile world with his physical infirmity. Thank God he doesn't do business like Nebuchadnezzar does. The fourth characteristic is they were to be mentally healthy. Verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar was not interested in slow thinkers. Nebuchadnezzar wanted those with high IQ. Nebuchadnezzar was interested in getting the top of the class. He was not going to be someone interested in special ed programs which try to reach out to those mentally who have special needs. The Hebrew words used in the last part of this verse are interesting words, and they give us insight as to the kind of mind for which Nebuchadnezzar was looking when he captured these people. There are three main statements that we want to see concerning those he selected. Number one, they were to show intelligence in every branch of wisdom. And that word intelligence is one that means they were to have an analytical mind that was to be able to think through things and understand things. The word wisdom is one that shows up often in Proverbs. It speaks of being skilled and prudent. When you combine these two words, they were to have intelligence in every branch of wisdom. It means they were to be capable of analyzing something and then ultimately coming to a skilled level of understanding it. 
Nebuchadnezzar wanted those who could look at something, think logically and systematically about it, and come to an understanding of it. That's the mind he wanted. Secondly, they were to be endowed with understanding. And those are interesting Hebrew words because they suggest that they were to be able to study something and not just come to a surface level of knowledge. They were to be able to come to a level of understanding to the point that they could make discerning judgments. No matter what the topic, they were to be able to study it to a level where they could actually decide things about it. For those of you who've ever studied anything about the Lewis and Clark expedition, you know that Thomas Jefferson, who was the president, selected Meriwether Lewis to lead up this campaign that would open the West because Meriwether Lewis had this aptitude for learning, a propensity for learning, as Jefferson said. He found in him someone that you could take and you could lecture him in medicine and you could lecture him in plants, you could lecture him in the animal world, in cartography, the making of maps, and you could lecture him in history, and he was the kind of guy who could get it. He had a mind that could grasp it, simulate the material, and then focus in with an understanding mind to be able to make judgments. That's just the kind of men that Nebuchadnezzar was looking for. The third statement is they were to have discerning knowledge. The word discern in Hebrew means they were to be able to look between the lines and come to a great level of understanding. The word knowledge means things that were to be measured. So these men were to be men who could analyze measurable things and then understand them at a high level and understand what they were studying, understand what they were learning, and analyze it. Minds that could understand technical data. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot disregard what's said in these verses, God does obviously grant certain minds this ability. God grants certain minds the ability to understand things, to discern knowledge. And what this also tells us, ladies and gentlemen, and don't miss this point, you can have a great mental flair for learning and be a powerful, righteous man or woman of God. That was the case with these four Hebrews. And the greatest use a person can have with his or her mind is to try to come to terms in understanding as much as possible about the infinitely wise God. Those who take their minds and they want to systematically study the word and grow in their understanding of the Lord are using their minds at the highest possible level. The fifth characteristic is they were to be personable. These young men were to be able to serve in the king's court. And that word serve means they needed to be able to understand the king's environment and they could operate in a king's world in a presentable way. They needed to be able to present themselves in the kingly world in a way that properly related. They needed to understand proper protocol and etiquette at a high political level. When you're functioning at a kingly level, you just don't operate in some back-slapping way. These were people who needed to be able to learn manners. They needed to be able to function in that world of the king. They needed to have a good look about them. They needed to have good personalities about them. Now, to find these kinds of people who are highly intelligent at this level, and then also can relate to people on a real practical level that is right before the Lord is a rare find. I knew years ago an engineer in the radio world who was brilliant in electronics. This guy could assess transformers and transmitters and he could just, he had a mind that would not stop when it came to being analyzed, anything connected to electronics. He could not function around people. 
He was intellectually brilliant when it came to his field, but he couldn't relate to people. The kind of person that Nebuchadnezzar was looking for needed to be one who could function at a high level of thinking, but also function with people. And the sixth characteristic is they were to be teachable. These young men were to have the capability of learning Chaldean literature and language. They needed to be able to study things like history and agriculture. They needed to be able to study things like astronomy, math, and Akkadian language. Now, the Aramaic language that these young men learned is not the Aramaic language of today. Linguists have studied the Aramaic language and have determined there are five kinds of Aramaic language. There was the Old Aramaic found in the Old Canaanite inscriptions. Then there was what was called the Official Aramaic found in this culture. And then there was the Middle Aramaic found in Jesus' day. Jesus quoted from the Middle type of Aramaic. And then there was the Late Aramaic that was found in the, uh, in the AD 200 to 700 and some of the early writings of some of the Christians. And then there is modern Aramaic, which is spoken today in modern-day Iraq. Daniel was trained in type number two. He was trained in the official Aramaic. He needed to have a mind that could get a language. Now, I want you to notice the purpose of all of this training. The purpose of all of this training is to reprogram and separate these young men from their previous Jewish culture. Nebuchadnezzar is trying to reprogram these individuals through education. It would be like being selected to go to Iraq by the Iraqis. They want you to learn the Arabic language, study literature and religion so you can become Islamic. That was the goal of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as you read down through these qualities of characteristics that Nebuchadnezzar is looking for, I want you to notice very carefully there is no emphasis on being moral. And there is no emphasis on being right with the God of the Bible. In fact, there's no emphasis at all on being spiritually minded. To a heathen, all that matters to them is their education. However, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that makes education so valuable, the thing that made these four so valuable, was not that they had great minds. It's that they used their minds and they had a right relationship with God. And when a person has that... When a person is committed to God and when a person uses their abilities and their mental intellect to the glory of God, that person will be used by God at the highest level. Listen, young people, you can study secular things. You can study in secular society. You can study secular books and you can love God and you can make a difference in your world. That's the story of Daniel. He's forced to study these things, but he never lost sight of the truth of God in all of that. Which brings us to the second segment, what the king appointed, verse 5. Now the word appoint means this is what the king actually assigned to these captives, and there are three appointments. He appointed their daily food. The king's food would have been luxurious, five-star quality stuff, the finest culinary cuisine, Nebuchadnezzar wants to lure these young men away from God. He brings them to Babylon. Now think of this. You're a Jewish person living in Jerusalem, and you are not in the lap of luxury there. I mean, you're just wondering how you're going to have food for the day. Now you're brought to Babylon, and you're set up with the king's food. I mean, if you want to reprogram someone, that's a good way to do it. If you want to try to get somebody to sell out, this is certainly a good plan. This is a good approach. Appoint them high level of food. Secondly, he appointed their daily wine. Now, wine was something very 
well known by Daniel. In fact, it was in Jewish culture. Later in the book of Daniel, we learn that Daniel did drink wine because there was a time when he gave it up for a three-week period of time when he was going to seek something special from God. But the Babylonian culture used the food and wine in this way. They always dedicated it to some idol. They always dedicated it to some foreign god. So the king's food and wine were not just having a normal meal. These were having things that had been dedicated to a false god, his gods. And let's face it, you're a young Jewish man. You're taken captive. You're placed in this good life environment. It could affect you. You could begin to think maybe their way is right. After all, we've come from Jerusalem. We don't have this kind of good food and wine at our disposal. We're captives here. Look at all they've got. Don't fall for that lure. Because there are those who will do that to you today. Look at all we've got. You're supposed to love God. Look at what we have. Look what you don't have. Don't fall for that lure. Because in the end, this is the culture that's demolished. Thirdly, he appointed their education. Now, they were to be trained for three years and then put into the king's service. It's a known fact that three years of intense training can accomplish a good education. Jesus trained his disciples for three years. Paul was taken on the backside of the Arabian desert and trained by Jesus Christ for three years. If you read the history of Bible schools, colleges, and seminaries, they believed in the infant days that if they could train someone for three intense years of study, they could give them a thorough education. Now the goal of this education was to poison and pollute the minds of these Jewish men with thorough Babylonian brainwashing. The goal was to reprogram these Jewish young men and get them to change their thinking and pull them away from the truth of God. It's like a wonderful educational dream come true educational grant. They're telling you, we're going to pop for all of this. You can live in the finest society. You can study. You can learn. You can enjoy life. Your life is going to be plush. And if you young people apply yourselves in this Babylonian culture, you can make a big name in the Babylonian world. Forget what your parents taught you. Forget about your God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Forget that. Climb the ladder of success through our system. There is a satanic brainwashing that I believe is fully operative today that is just as diabolical as what Nebuchadnezzar did here. It's in high schools, it's in junior high schools, it's in colleges and universities, it's on television, it's on radio ministries, it's on movies, it's in media, and it's all designed to pull people away from God and His truth. I believe it's filtering into worship services that are pulling people away from God and His truth to entertain them in insignificant ways that are of no eternal value. But you young people need to learn this important principle. You don't have to be pulled away from truth. You can study in secular schools and remain solid. Moses was well-educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was as solid as a rock. That education never prevented him from standing up for what was right and for the truth of God. So if you go to school and it's a secular school and it's a secular junior high or high school or it's a secular university, you take your Christian scruples with you and don't allow anybody to sway you from truth and you'll influence your world just like Daniel and these three did. Which brings us to the final segment, who the king appointed. Now, if we carefully look at chapter 1, you'll notice that there were many Israelites who were taken, and the noun yous is plural. 
used in verse 4 is plural. There were many Jewish men in the program, but only four are named in the book of Daniel. Only four become critical to the narrative account. Four are Daniel, God is judged. That's what his name means. Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. Mishael, who or what is God? And Azariah, Jehovah helps. These are solid biblical names, every one of these. Daniel, God is judge. Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. Mishael, who or what is God? Azariah, Jehovah helps. These young men have good names. They came from godly homes. This means that there were some Jewish homes that had very godly principles and they were still in existence even when Israel, for the most part, had been sent a scathing rebuke for her rebellion. God does still always honor faithfulness even when the world has gone mad. That's what he did here. Now, names were normally changed, and that was not uncommon. Abram's name was changed by God to Abraham. Sarai's name was changed by God to Sarah. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel. In fact, when Necho took Eliakim into captivity, he changed it and gave him a name, Jehoiakim. But the king that's changing the names here is doing it for altogether different reasons. The king took these four and changed their names, and these aren't the normal changes where you change one Jewish name into another Jewish name. The purpose of him changing these names is to try to get these four to forget about their godly background and get them to falsely worship an abominable Babylonian deity. The satanic purpose of this name change is that he wants to obliterate all traces of Israel and the God of Israel. Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Bel, the Babylonian god, protect his life. Hananiah was changed to Shadrach, the command of the god Marduk. Mishael a changed to Meshach, which is the moon god. Seems like in every culture you have somebody named Shaq. Uh, fourthly, you have Azariah was changed to Abednego, servant of Nego, a Babylonian god. But it was possible, even with these name changes, for these people to function as people of God. Is it possible for this to happen? You bet it is. Is it possible to be a young person and live in a God-honoring way in a godless world? Is it possible for you to be working in a secular company? Is it possible for you to be out there getting a secular education and still be mightily used of God? Daniel says, yes. No matter how corrupt the power, no matter how evil the environment, Daniel says you can make a tremendous impact for the Lord if you stay faithful to God. So remember that this week in your world. No matter what you find yourself surrounded by, you keep God first and God will use you and honor you just like he will do with these four. Now, of course, this all is contingent upon a relationship with God. The reason why these became so powerful is because they had a relationship with God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, it starts right there. May we pray. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, right now in this moment, why not settle this issue and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? In the privacy of this moment, you pray something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I thank you that Christ died on the cross for me. And right now, I believe on him for salvation. Father, we realize that most people here don't have the privilege of spending their life in a Christian world surrounded by Christians who just totally love you. But they work and live and go to school in a secular world that for the most part tries to dismiss you. 
And that secular world is out to try to pull them and tug them away from you. I pray that this church will be filled with Daniel types. On their job, in their education, in their learning, in their existence, they will influence their culture. That you'll use them mightily. And I pray this for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Use them to the glory of thyself. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.